welcome to podcast number 27 here at The Voice of the Arts with your host, yours truly, Joe Weber. We're going to begin today's show with some wisdom from that wonderful writer, Jack Handy. I'm sure many of you have heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good. I think it's a wonderful expression. It explains the person who prides themselves on their exacting standards, who settles for nothing less than perfect, and alienates anyone and everyone who tries to work in concert with them. Let's listen now to Jack Handy and how he attempts to mitigate this problem. Lowering My Standards by Jack Handy As you may have heard, I have very high standards. When people see me do something, they often shake their heads in disbelief. That's how high my standards are. But lately, I've been wondering if maybe they're not too high. Am I pushing myself too hard? Do I always have to be the one everybody looks up to? Are my high standards hurting my happiness and things like that? Why, for instance, do I always have to be the first one to show up at a party and the last one to leave? And while I'm at the party, is it really so important that I tell the dirtiest joke? A lot of times I'm the only one telling a dirty joke, so it's not even that big an accomplishment. And if someone else does tell a dirty joke, why do I feel compelled to tell one that's even dirtier and more graphic? Just so I can be number one? Why do I sometimes feel like I should get a job or do some kind of work? Does thinking about maybe getting a job make me better than other people? Am I worried that if I quit borrowing money from my friends, they'll think I'm stuck up? Why do I have to be the honest one? Do people really want you to be that honest about how old they look or how big their breasts are? At every get-together, why do I have to do my funny cowboy dance? Why not do a dance that isn't so demanding, like my funny robot dance or just funny prancing? Is it really my responsibility that half-empty glasses of beer not be wasted? Whenever there's a scary sound at night, why do I have to do all the screaming? Maybe somebody else can scream and cry and and beg for mercy for a change. Would the world really fall apart if I didn't point out to people which are the regular goldfish and which are the bug-eyed ones? Let them figure it out on their own. Why does it have to be me who ends up asking how much someone paid for something? Everyone's curious. Could a sock really be a parachute for a mouse? Maybe not, but does that mean I... (laughs) Could a sock really be a parachute for a mouse? Maybe not, but does that mean I have to stand up in the middle of the movie theater and start booing? Why do I always have to be the one who sums up what was just said or explain to the children what hell is or calls the meeting to order? These are all questions I would never even have asked myself until the incident with Don. Every day, my friend Don and I would see who could trip each other the most times. But then one day, I tripped him, and he fell and broke his jaw. He looked up and with slurred speech said, I guess you win. But what did I win? I didn't win anything. And you know why? Because I forgot to make a bet with him. But something else was wrong, and I knew it. Why did I want to trip Don in the first place? to show how clever I was or how brave or or how successful? Yes, all of those things, so I guess that answers that. Still, something about it bothered me. I decided to drive up to a cabin in the mountains. For a week, all I did was sit and think and watch a lot of television. 
How, I agonized during the commercial breaks, did I get such high standards? Was it something from my childhood or my fraternityhood? Was it from another lifetime when I was in another fraternity? I wondered if my high standards were leading me to a heart attack. Then I thought, yes, but it'll be the biggest heart attack anyone's ever had. I wondered if it was even possible for a person like me to lower his standards. Then I wondered if they still make Bosco. I became so confused and frustrated, I began smashing things in the cabin. I wound up running headlong into the woods in panic when the people who owned the cabin suddenly showed up. As I drove back to civilization, as you squares call it, I had already made a momentous decision. I would keep thinking about the possibility of lowering my standards. Maybe, just maybe, I don't always have to do things so perfectly. Maybe when I ask someone a question, I don't always have to begin it with the words, pray tell. Perhaps I don't have to wear the fanciest fanny pack that money can buy. And when I'm at a dinner party, maybe I don't need to sniff every piece of food before I eat it. In short, perhaps I should worry less about doing the right thing and more about doing the right thing, whatever that means. People may worry, isn't there a danger that if you start lowering your standards, they'll go too low? As far as I'm concerned, they can't go low enough. You've been listening to Lowering My Standards, written by Jack Handy in a collection called What I'd Say to the Martians. She don't like her eggs all runny She thinks crossing her legs is funny She looks down her nose at money She gets it on like the Easter bunny She's my baby, I'm her honey I'm never gonna let her go He ain't got laid in a month of Sundays Caught him once and he was sniffing my undies He ain't too sharp but he gets things done Drinks his beer like it's oxygen But he's my baby and I'm his honey Never gonna let him go In spite of ourselves We'll end up sitting on a rainbow Against all odds Honey, we're the big door prize We're gonna spike Our noses right off of our faces there won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. She thinks all my jokes are corny Convict movies make her horny She likes ketchup on her scrambled eggs Swears like a sailor when she shaves her legs She takes a licking and keeps on ticking I'm never gonna let her go He's got more balls than a big brass monkey He's a whacked out weirdo and a love bug junkie Sly as a fox, crazy as a loon 
Payday comes and he's a howling at the moon. But he's my baby. I don't mean maybe. Never gonna let him go. In spite of ourselves, we'll end up a sitting on a rainbow. Against all odds, honey, we're the big door prize. We're gonna spike our noses right off of our faces. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. In spite of ourselves, we'll end up a sitting on a rainbow. Against all odds, honey, we're the big door prize. We're gonna spike our noses right off of our faces. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. In spite of ourselves. That was John Prine and Iris Dement with In Spite of Ourselves, a tune written by the former. Up next, we're going to hear a very memorable moment in the film Goodfellas, which was directed by Martin Scorsese and adapted from the book Wise Guy, the true life story of a hoodlum named Henry Hill. And it was written by Nicholas Pileggi, a former crime reporter for the New York Daily News. What's really funny is the fucking bank job away in Seat Caucus. I'm in the middle of the fucking weeds, laying down. He comes over, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm resting. Here you're resting. I got a fucking beach in a park. I said, I'm resting. I know I'm resting, I'm resting. They pull me in, they start giving me all kinds of questions, you know, this and that. He says, oh, uh, so what are you going to tell us, tough guy? I said, my usual, zero, nothing. I tell you, the fuck. He says, no, you're going to tell me something today, tough guy. I said, all right, I'll tell you something. Go fuck your mother. <laughs> Bing, pow. You saw the paper, Anthony, my head was up like this. So, so now I'm coming around, you know, I start to come out of it. Who do I see in front of me? This big prick again. He says, oh, what do you want to tell me now, tough guy? I said, Bing, what are you doing here? I thought I'd tell you to go fuck your mother. I thought he was going to shit. Pow, Bing, pow. What the fuck is... I wish I was big just once. <laughs> You're a big cop. You're a really funny. You're really funny. Uh-huh. What do you mean I'm funny? <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know. It's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? Just, what? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? man, let me understand this, because I don't, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. Stuttering, yeah, stuttering prick here. Frankie, was he shaking? I wonder about you sometimes. 
Lance Henry. You may fold under questioning. <laughs> Regna for a tembracham me. Mashedan masti suona. Me vai kianiere bete. Oi vida, oi vida mia, oi gore, gistu gore. Si stato prima amore. O prima l'ultimo sarai per me. Scrive sempre sta contenta e non pensa che a te sola e non pensi a me consola che tu pensi solamente a me. A chi ho belle tutte belle non è mai chi ho belle te.
We heard Italian singer Claudio Villa with O Sordato Namorato, and following that, we heard Land's End performed by the Clifford Brown and Max Roach Quintet. The tune was written by Harold Land, the group's tenor saxophonist. Clifford Brown is my favorite jazz trumpeter, hands down. Unfortunately, his life was cut short by a car accident in which he and bandmate pianist Richie Powell and the latter's wife all died on a rainy night on the Pennsylvania Turnpike near the town of Bedford in June of 1956. They were en route to a club date in Chicago. He was only 25 years old at the time of his death. Hi, I'm station owner Joe Weber. And I'm Larry Larson, host of The Morning Show. We call ourselves the Voice of the Arts, and we're proud supporters of the arts in Atlanta. Larry and I would like to talk to you a little bit about the upcoming fundraiser for the City Museum here in Atlanta. Larry, there are several different levels. The first level is the friend level, uh, and what does that involve? Well, that's a contribution of $1 to $49. And what do you get with that, Larry? Nothing. Now, I see that the patron level involves a contribution of 50 to $299. What comes with that, Larry? Well, you get the official city museum tie and an invitation to have tea with the head curator and his family at his private residence. The angel level of contribution is 300 to 799 What comes with that level? With that, you get permission to destroy any work of art and replace it with your own work, and the head curator will perform a dance for you in front of his peers. Any particular kind of dance? It doesn't say here, Joe. It just, uh, it just says dance. The Messiah level is for 800 to 2,999. With that, the head curator will come to your house and make you dinner, and after dinner he will massage your back with oils. And the head curator will dance for you twice, once in front of his peers and once in front of his own children. What about the pharaoh level? Well, at the pharaoh level, that's a contribution of 3000 to $24,999. Whenever the head curator sees you, he will salute, curtsy, and then run in place until you motion for him to stop. Plus, you get unlimited dances. What about the warlord level? That's the top one, contributions of $25,000 and up. Well, with that, you get one night with the head curator's wife, and whenever you snap your fingers, the head curator will drop whatever it is he's doing and burst spontaneously into song. Any dances with that No dances with that, Joe, but you get 15% off at the gift shop. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Plus, folks, whatever you contribute, you know you'll walk away with a good feeling because you've contributed to the arts in Atlanta. I started the day at a surgery center in Century City, preparing for an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. There I was, clothed in one of those backward robes, hooked up to the IV, waiting for the anesthesiologist in a starring role on the TV monitor, contemplating my mortality. These are the kinds of milestones that when you get into your 70s that one has to undergo. The biannual visit with the dermatologist, the urologist, etc. In your 70s, you're not subjected to midterms and final exams at school any longer. But you do have different kinds of exams, and they're frightening in a different way. You wait for the results of the tests, 
and hope that you pass without having to return for further diagnosis. These morbid thoughts have brought to mind William Butler Yeats' poem, Sailing to Byzantium. That is no country for old men, the young in one another's arms, birds in the trees, those dying generations at their song, the salmon falls, the mackerel crowded sea, Fish, flesh, or fowl commend all summer long. Whatever is begotten, born, and dies. Caught in that sensual music, all neglect monuments of unaging intellect. An aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless soul clap its hands and sing, and louder sing for every tatter in its mortal dress. Nor is there singing school, but studying monuments of its own magnificence. And therefore I have sailed the seas and come to the holy city of Byzantium. O sages standing in God's holy fire, as in the gold mosaic on a wall, come from that holy fire, pern in a gyre, and be the singing masters of my soul. Consume my heart away sick with desire and fastened to a dying animal it knows not what it is and gather me into the artifice of eternity once out of nature i shall never take my bodily form from any natural thing but such a form as grecian goldsmiths make of hammered gold and gold enameline to keep a drowsy emperor awake or set upon a golden bough to sing to lords and ladies of Byzantium of what is past, or passing, or to come. Well, 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 I don't want to leave you in a state of depression. Hence, I will play the uplifting and gorgeous first movement of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony called the Pastoral. Some of you may recognize it as the music that is played on an episode of The Simpsons when Marge Simpson succeeds in getting the ultra-violent cartoon, Itchy and Scratchy, sanitized of the violence. The kids are so bored, they turn off their TV sets and go outside and play with a pastoral symphony, the first movement in the background.
Berlin Philharmonic playing the first movement, the Allegro ma non troppo, of Ludwig Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the Pastoral. <laughs> Folks, that about does it for this podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Joe Weber saying so long here from the Voice of the Arts. Mm-hmm.